Thanks for listening to Shift Your Spirits. I'm Slade Robertson. For 13 years, I've been a professional intuitive and personal development blogger. I try to talk about spirituality with fewer hearts and flowers than most New Age blather. I also mentor emerging intuitives, psychics, and healers in a program called Automatic Intuition. It is Saturday, December 29th, 2018, as I record this introduction just before New Year's. This week, I have a special astrology workshop with Dina DeCastro. Dina's been on the show before in a more traditional interview format, as well as teaching us about karmic patterns in our birth charts. Dina and I have been brainstorming evergreen astrological topics, content that is relevant to you at whatever point in time you discover it. So it doesn't matter if you're listening to this show on New Year's Day 2019 or you are listening at some point in the future. This is presented as a workshop, a deep dive into a particular area of your natal chart, and this is a format we intend to repeat. So in just a few minutes, I'm going to share a simple free way to access the information about your chart you'll want to have as Dina explains the meanings for each sign. As always, there's an oracle segment at the end of the show, so be thinking about a question or a concern you have, hold it in your mind, and I'll come back on after the final links and credits and leave you with that extra channeled message. Before I get to the workshop, I do want to say a quick thank you to my newest supporters on Patreon, all of whom pledged at the mastery level, Christina Williams, Sherry Schultz, and Patty Scharf. Teresa Loss pledged at the mastery level and then edited her pledge to $30. And I thought it was an error at first, like she pledged the mastery level but wanted to edit down to just a $3 pledge. So I sent her a message just to make sure. And she said, no, I just wanted to give you extra. So that's very cool. Um, I also want to say thank you to all of you who continue to pledge your support on Patreon at any level. It demonstrates that you're enjoying this show and want it to continue. It's very encouraging to me, so thank you. Listeners who support the show on Patreon can access a guided meditation called Messages from Your Spirit Guides, exclusive bonus episodes, and there's also a mastery level of support where you can download one of my courses for free each month. I've also got my Elemental Astrology course almost ready, and that will be released exclusively to Mastery Level supporters. I'm working on a series of guided meditations, which will be available to even more levels of Patreon supporters. So to find out how you can become a patron, support my time in producing this show, and access all the extra bonus content, please go to patreon.com slash shiftyourspirits. Okay. Let's set you up for this astrology workshop, as well as any others that we do in the future. If you know a lot about your natal chart, you may know some of these planets and signs off the top of your head without having to look them up, so feel free to go ahead and listen along right now. For those of you who are beginners or who want to reference your chart and take notes, we're going to explore additional areas of your chart on future episodes, so you may want to start a document on your computer or start a page in your notebook. The site I most use and recommend is astro.com. There's quite a bit you can do with a free account. There are a lot of places where you can cast your natal chart online, and I don't get any kind of kickback for referring astro.com. The reason I prefer astro is you can store up to 100 profiles with a free account. 
That's helpful if you have clients you're ch uh, casting charts for, but even more importantly, you may want to store the charts of people you're in relationships with. There's a partner report in Astro you may want to explore for spouses, people you're dating, family members, coworkers, people you're in business with, that person that you're about to marry. After you sign up for a username and password, you'll be asked to enter your exact birth information. Under the free horoscopes tab, you'll find a daily personal horoscope that's pretty good for computer generated in my opinion, but for the purposes of our workshops here, you'll want to look under the free horoscopes tab in the short horoscopes list, and there's one you'll see there called personal portrait. The personal portrait is what Astro calls the natal chart or the birth chart. Now, on that personal portrait page... They will offer some highlights from your chart, but that's nowhere close to everything. They may or may not interpret your Venus placement. I'm not sure how that algorithm exactly works. But if you scroll down to the bottom, you will find a list called planetary positions of every planet in your chart and what sign it's in. For this episode, you'll want to know what your Venus is in. You may also want to find the Venus placement of your significant others before you listen to everything that we talk about. Of course, if you have an astrological site that you already like or a natal chart that was prepa professionally prepared for you, by all means, use those. Um, just find your Venus and we'll jump right into this conversation and let Dina tell you what it means and what you can do with this information in terms of love and money. So evolutionary astrology is a branch of astrology that focuses on past life and karmic patterns as part of the reading of the natal chart. And we look at that uh, through something in the chart called the nodes, uh, the south node, representing that past life or karmic pattern situation. And then the north node representing what it is in this life that we're here to learn uh, that we have not experienced in past lives, that we've not uh, mastered. And so we're here learning about that thing which is uh, foreign to us. Uh, so it's much more, um, it's less predictive than some other branches of astrology. In fact, it's not predictive at all. It is more of a personal development uh, kind of astrology where uh, in the reading, uh, I'm offering people uh, a way to to look at themselves differently, not only from this life's perspective, but from a soul level perspective. And then with that knowledge, I'm giving them uh, suggestions about how to best live in alignment with their soul's plan uh, coming into this life and how ultimately to live a more fulfilling, uh, content and and happy life. Uh, so that is, that's the aim of it. So it's not meant for prediction. It is more meant for personal development and, uh, and for growth. I actually really like that because it, 
it's a little bit more woo woo. And yet also the personal development aspect of it really brings it down to earth. So if I'll of course link to the show that, that we did earlier so everyone can listen to that and and find out about their um, node astrology. But what you told me on that show about my own South node in Virgo, um, has been really impactful going forward from that (laughs) moment. Like it explained a lot of things about, Mm -hmm. you know, the way that I operate and it also explained a lot of my relationships with Virgos. (laughs) So yeah. um, Oh, totally. I'm uh, with you on that one. Yeah. So um, anyway, I I really loved that piece of information. And one of the things that I noticed talking to you the very first time that we ever spoke, which is that conversation, by the way. um, And the reason why I wanted you back um, on the show is, uh, well, first, I, I love any excuse to talk to you. But um, <laughs> one of the things I found myself recommending to my friends and my clients about your readings is astrology, I've all often noticed can have this really, really old, like Old Testament doom and gloom kind of quality oh. to it sometimes. And yeah. um, especially if you're looking at things that are computer generated, sometimes I often tell people, okay, like you need to dial back the, the negative a little bit. Um, <laughs> dial that back. Yeah. And you have a way of speaking about astrology that feels kind of more hopeful and more positive and enthusiastic to me. And I was wondering if you are aware of what I'm talking about and mm-hmm. if, if if you get a sense of that as well. Yeah. And, you know, I think that within the astrological community, one of the viewpoints is that um, evolutionary astrologers are too much uh, Pollyanna perhaps or positive um, compared to some others, which will tell you, you know, more of the doom and gloom uh, <laughs> aspects. Like if you have an afflicted Venus, you know, that uh, your love life is is going to be challenged for your whole life. It is some branches of astrology are more deterministic. Uh-huh. I will say that. And I am not coming from and evolutionary astrology is not coming from a deterministic perspective. Uh, we embrace the idea of free will as being the prime mover. Mm-hmm. And that once we have self-knowledge, we can make better choices. You know, that's the whole point. We can, the reading itself changes what you can do with your future. It's not telling you that this is the future that's laid out for you, that this is what's going to happen because, you know, Saturn square your Venus and it's going to (laughs) suck. That it's, uh, you know, it's saying here are some choices. Now, with, I will say though, that it is not all love and light uh, and that, Anybody who's gotten a reading from me will tell you that we go into the shadow stuff. You know, we go into what is, uh, what are the lower possibilities for you? What are the things uh, that can trip you up? Where, where are the places where you can get uh, get tangled up in old patterns and get stuck? And but in knowing that, then you can more likely avoid those places, right? Yeah, like to explain what I meant by how that information for me impacted me going forward. What it did was it it just identified a certain um, thought process or, you know, where something's coming from in the way that I think and react to things and knowing to look for that and to be aware of it when it popped its head. I'd be like, oh, that's my 
totally my you know south node in Virgo, and then having a polar companion opposite of like okay well so in order to balance out that energy the idea is to move towards this more piscean way of looking mm-hmm. at things so when i say it's impactful to me you're right it it it's not like oh well it's just going to be this way and i'm just screwed to be that way and what right. it does is it allows me to say oh there's my tendency to do that now i'm going to make a willful conscious decision to lean this other way in order right. to to kind of balance that out or to to move away from it. So, um, yeah, I like that. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely don't want to – I don't want information that I can't change or <laughs> mitigate right. in some way. Well, and, you know, I said this on another podcast recently that I'm always thinking as I do a reading, how can I empower the client, not how can I disempower the client, or to be careful not to say things that are going to – disempower the client. Um, that's super important to me. And, you know, it really guides everything that I say as I go through a reading. Mm. Well, you're doing a good job of it. Thank um, you. <laughs> so um, there is some great astrology content, obviously, online, on social media. A lot of astrologers do, you know, time-sensitive sort of current posts about what's going on in the skies, and you do a little bit of that as well. But when you and I were brainstorming astrological topics that we could explore on the show, Mm -hmm. I talked about how much I try to create evergreen content, meaning whenever someone comes along and they find this show, even if it's two years from now... I want the information to still be relevant to them. And aspects of the natal chart or birth chart are those items that aren't as time sensitive. So I'd love for you to explain to us the difference between transits and our natal or birth chart elements. Yeah, so the natal chart is the birth chart that, that you are born with. It is the permanent chart. You know, it's not going to change. However, how you respond to that chart can change. You know, you can grow and change, but that chart doesn't change. Um, And so when I do a reading that's focused mainly on the natal chart, uh, we're really looking at those uh, lifelong themes and patterns, um, not the things that are happening now. The transits and progressions and solar arcs, those are three things, three tools that astrologers use. Um, and there are more tools, but those are the three common ones. They tell us well, what is happening right now in this person's chart. What are the things moving through? That's transits from the outside, the cosmic weather. For example, let's say Neptune is currently in Pisces and it may be connecting with something in your chart. You know, maybe trining your moon or I think it is trining your moon. I'm oh, not yeah. sure. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> maybe soon. Uh, and, you know, that is its own uh, its own set of uh, meaning about what's happening now or in this coming year or maybe for the next two years. You know, a Neptune transit is two years long, for example. So that's time and that's uh, forecasting and that's not prediction you know that's like saying here is the cosmic weather that is around you how can you best navigate it Mm. Uh, progressions and solar arcs are a little bit different there's something that unfolds from the chart itself and i won't get 
into a technical discussion of those, but they're just other tools that we use to look at this moment in time, but also what's coming down the road, maybe the next year to two years for somebody uh, to say, what are the lessons that are on your plate right now? What are the themes that are up in your life? And it can be really helpful, particularly if you're going through a challenging time, to understand that there are forces at play that may be affecting you Uh, that are causing this to be a challenging time. And there is something you can do about it. There are things that you can do to, um, to better work with those energies than just, than if you didn't know about it. I like your weather metaphor because it's kind of like, if you know a hurricane's coming, then you can, you know, close the shutters and go underground. You know, it's, um, you can respond to those conditions in a different way. Another thing that I do think that astrological transits are good for, and I was just talking to a friend of mine who is going through um, a really rough life transition. And I said, you know, one of the things I like about astrology is it's not a psychic reading, it's actually external. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. here's a spreadsheet about stuff in your life. You know, it has a little bit of a a disconnect from being so much in our own heads a little bit. Um, And it's, um, it's something that also can give you a sense of like if you are really going through something and you're thinking, God, when is this ever going to end? Mm-hmm. I find it really helpful for someone to say, well, you know, like April, something is totally going to shift. And mm-hmm. just having a sense of like, oh, OK, you know, like I may feel like I'm smack in the middle of it. And then I get a reading with you and you talk about some transits and you're like, oh, actually, you know, it's been going on for a long time, but you're almost done. Um, mm-hmm. That can be the difference between you know, being in a really dark hole in the ground and, and having a little sense of, okay, I can go for two more months, you know, or whatever. Um, right. So that, but I, I love the emphasis on it not being so much about prediction as about kind of conditions, like weather conditions and sort of windows of time as opposed to specific moments. Um, yeah. Well, just to get back to the birth chart stuff. So we decided um, we wanted to do some shows where we focus on some of the, the bigger elements in birth charts. I feel like for people who are new to astrology, it makes sense for them to study their birth chart or their natal chart first as a way of learning about this vocabulary and these concepts and how it relates to what they're working with in this lifetime. So one of those big elements in our birth chart is our Venus. Mm -hmm. So teach us about Venus. (laughs) So Venus is uh, a planet that most people correlate to love because it's the goddess of love. Um, it is a planet that has to do with connection and relationship. And it is also, though, a planet that has to do with money and finances. And so a light bulb went on for me recently when I was listening to your episode with Morgana Ray uh, about love and money. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Venus, Venus, you know, that's the Venus energy coming through and those two things together. Um, she's a very Venusian kind of kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just clicked in for me that so many people don't, uh, make that connection, the connection to money and resources as well as love and romance associated with Venus. So I'll talk about both aspects or both faces of Venus. 
So to begin with, Venus is the ruler of Libra, the sign of Libra, and Taurus. So it's ruler of two signs. And Libra is uh, a relationship sign. It's it's about connection and wanting to connect and want wanting to come into balance with a significant other or a significant friend or a significant client. It's about the relationship of the one to the one and about balance and harmony between those two things. On another level, Venus too is about our aesthetic sensibilities, uh, our creativity. As Libra holds the archetype of the artist, that which makes beauty, you know, and as we think of Venus as the goddess also of beauty um, and Aphrodite. So it's the part of us that wants to make beauty in the world, to bring beauty into our surroundings, the part of us that wants to experience beauty. And that can come through creating, through artistry, and it can also come through being in love and through romance and connecting that way. That's all an experience of beauty. And it all brings us that sense of, you know, that sigh of like the romantic quality of life. So that's Venus as it's the ruler of Libra. But Venus is also the ruler of Taurus. And Taurus is a sign that is connected to stability, uh, resources, and a feeling of security. And that comes often through having enough resources, you know, that sense of stability and security. Mm -hmm. So hence Venus's connection to money. And so the Venus in our chart can tell us many things more than, oh, just, you know, what kind of people are we attracted to and what kind of people do we tend to attract? I mean, that's all true. And that's mm-hmm. something I'll, I'll talk more about. But it also tells us what is our relationship to resources? How do we create more resources for ourselves? How do we find our sense of security? How do we find a sense of stability and a foothold in the world? Um, so really, there's those two dimensions of Venus, you know, particularly love and money that I want to focus on. Yeah. Let me say something really quick um, about Morgana Ray. I've, of course, I'll link to to Morgana's interview when she was on the show as well. Um, some people know her. I reference her in The Money Shift. Um, she was very influential um, in my relationship with abundance as an archetype. And I just have to say it's really interesting because if you hear Morgana talk about her story, she started working with abundance and money and financial programs and all those relationships that we have with resources, she discovered this while being a relationship coach. And Mm -hmm. what she found was that people have the same issues with money that they have in their romantic partnerships. And that was the (laughs) connection she made. So anyway, I I hope she gets to hear this and and, and discover that there's like an astrological basis for her um, uh, observing that connection. Yeah, I would love I would love that. And uh, I really enjoyed what she had to say in that episode. And I found so much uh, personal value, you know, and, and had some really um, individual revelations about mm-hmm. my own relationship to love and money uh, through that episode. Um, 
so, and it, you know, connected for me directly back to astrology and what I know there. So I think what I'll do is I'll walk through some of the, the sign placements and okay. maybe, maybe we will get through all 12. Okay. <laughs> I'll do a little bit on each one if I can. Let's try. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll try. So if you know your Venus placement, you know, you can listen into each one and you might be able to find the Venus placements of your friends and family members and partner um, and, you know, be able to also get get some pieces out of this. So, so Venus and Aries, uh, Venus, again, you know, is being correlated to who we are attracted to, what kinds of people we're attracted to and who we attract in, uh, but also the relationship style. And so Aries is a spontaneous, fiery energy, right? And that's how uh, Venus and Aries people tend to like it in a relationship. They tend to like things spicy and need them a little spicy and uh, spontaneous and uh, passionate, right? Mm. And so there needs to be that excitement. So this is where we get into like differences and preferences. As you know, some people like things more calm and easygoing in relationship while you see others that's like, oh, they've always got so much relationship drama going on. Mm. But that's how some people actually like it mm. <laughs> if you need it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Venus and Aries is is that energy, and as it relates to to money and resources, uh, Venus and Aries is is really connected to um, needing to take on challenges in terms of one's work and uh, financial goals, and being able to do uh, things that feel fresh and new all the time. So there can be a you know the shadow aspect of that is a tendency to get bored quickly, like have a passionate attachment to an idea or a project and then it can kind of fizzle so that's the challenge for venus and aries in both relationship and Mm. money (laughs) things can start off real hot and heavy and then go right (laughs) so that's something too to, to think about with all these venus placements is there's always the you know the positive and the the shadow expression of each uh the things to be careful of venus and taurus uh, Venus in the sign that it rules, one of the signs that it rules, really craves stability, uh, sensual or uh, physical tactile connection in a relationship, uh, a feeling of security and uh, is has an intensely loyal component and require requires loyalty from the other. So that kind of slow and easy and comfortable style to a relationship is more what suits the Venus and Taurus type. Venus and Taurus uh, regarding money, again, you know, security and having a sense of stability is primary. So this type of person would more benefit from a job where they feel like, okay, I know where my paycheck's coming from. It's pretty predictable. They're not as likely to be your freelancer, you know, unless there's a, a steady stream of uh, of abundance that they can count on coming from that. Mm-hmm. But that's a Venus and Taurus type really needs that um, that sense of I know and you know, I have all my ducks in a row financially all the time. And the shadow side of that uh, placement is getting too stuck in routines, like getting too stuck in uh, things always needing to be nice and comfortable, right? Both in love and money that uh, we can get in routines as partners where we get kind of bored with each other, <laughs> you know, trying to keep things too nice and too easy. 
uh, can be its own downfall. And the same with the approach to money. It's like you can get to, you can keep yourself a little too small uh, because you're afraid to take the risk of, of stepping out and doing something bigger, you know. So that's Venus and Taurus. Venus and Gemini, uh, which I think we both have. Yes, <laughs> this is me. I'm taking notes. <laughs> okay, get your pen out. Um, so Venus and Gemini is, uh, Gemini's an air sign, and it's about curiosity and wanting to learn new things all the time. Uh-oh. Uh, and there needs to, uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh, there needs to be a huge amount of intellectual engagement with one's partner and or friends. It's like they mm-hmm. have to be someone that you can talk to and have that mental connection with. Uh, mental connection is primary. It's like you have to be on that level with the person where it's like we can talk easily and, you know, and I think, I think my husband is, uh, he's a Gemini rising and so am I. And so we're just nonstop like chatterboxes with each other, you oh, know. that's cool. Which is cool. Um, and we like that, you know, some people it might drive them a little nuts. But I mean, as, as Venus and Gemini person, I really like to be able to just chatter, chatter with him. You know, I need my quiet time too. But I think that Venus and Gemini also uh, needs to be constantly uh, have something to be curious about. So that goes for love and for money that uh, in the money aspect, you know, we can easily make money through uh, through the word, through teaching, through writing, through speaking, and also through learning new things and then repackaging what we learn and then giving it back out through teaching. Okay, that's part of the Gemini archetype. Hmm. So, teaching and talking, you know, is that's a us. Focus. That's <laughs> that's you and me. Uh, I guess we're doing our Venus. Right. And, uh, so the shadow stuff of Venus and Gemini is going from thing to thing without um, without settling, you know, on one thing without with having trouble committing to one thing. Now that can come up in love or money. And I have to say, you know, I had more trouble with the love part of that when I was much younger and not anymore. Um, but I did, you know, I see that in myself for Venus and Gemini of the, uh, the next shiny object that comes by, (laughs) I'm going to follow that. And that can happen with, with money as well that, Oh, maybe I should make money doing this. No, wait, I could be that, you know, I'm going to be a writer this week and a teacher next week and a, you know, this or that. So there can be a difficulty in settling. Now, I do think that abates with age, you know, with Venus and Gemini as we grow up and kind of get our big, big boy and big girl pants on. Um, and yet some people might not grow out of it as as quickly. <laughs> well, and, and I and I have to say for myself, the way that that came down is once I found the right context in which to work, I have a job that allows me to be a lot of different things Um, from, you know, uh, one day I'm an accountant, another day I'm doing, you know, web design, another day I'm interviewing people on a podcast. And that variety, I think, is the reason why the entrepreneurial stuff works for me so well is because I have it built in to this one thing I do is actually like a cluster of a whole lot of things. 
So true. And same with me as well. That I feel I never get bored because every reading you do is a different deal. You know, there's there's no two readings that are alike. Uh, So that keeps me constantly engaged. So that's super important for those Venus and Gemini people out there to think about is what will keep you constantly uh, engaged with your mind? What will keep you constantly curious? Uh, Because you can get bored really easily with anything that's just even a little bit repetitive mm-hmm. <laughs> or redundant. Mm-hmm. So, all right, with that going on to uh, Venus and Cancer. And Venus and Cancer, you know, has some similarities to Venus and Taurus. There's a need for commitment and a feeling of emotional safety uh, in relationship and in re- as relates to money. So, uh, Venus and Cancer types really need to feel safe in order to connect emotionally with their significant other and with friends. And so they're uh, attracted to people who can provide that sense of comfort and safety and uh, a feeling of like they're not going anywhere. You know, that significant other is, is there for the long haul. And so they're drawn to relationships that can provide that. Um, as far as Venus and Cancer money-wise, you know, there's a need for emotional safety in terms of how they make and bring in money. And that, uh, you know, that again, similarly to Taurus, requires a structure and a certain comfort level with their job and what they're doing uh, to bring in money. So I don't mean to make that sound at all boring. It's just like those two signs, Taurus and and Cancer in particular, as we go on, we'll get to Capricorn as well, I see in this way, that they really do need uh, a little more regularity of routine and comfort level in their relationship and work slash money lives. And that is okay. You know, part of what I, I like to always get across is we're all wired differently and, and part of of what um, I like to bring to people is that accepting and validating that wiring is, is really important. And you can push a little bit against the edges of that, knowing that that is your want, you know, that sometimes you could get a little too comfortable. And so here we have Venus and cancer. Um, the shadow uh, element of it can be going too much into caregiving and nurturing of the other too much into worrying about, um, I've got to show up for my work at the expense of myself, you know, sometimes Mm. forgetting to take care of oneself because the job or the the money coming in means more than taking care of oneself. Uh, It's that over-focus on caregiving uh, to the other that can go awry. And so that's something for, for Venus and Cancer to watch. Then we have Venus and Leo colorful fire sign, the second fire sign we've come across. So uh, Leo is a creative, spontaneous energy. Uh, It craves uh, adoration. (laughs) You know, it craves being appreciated. Uh, So own it. If you got some Leo in your chart, which I know you do, uh, (laughs) (laughs) that there is that need for um, being appreciated, you know, particularly in partnership, if you have Venus and Leo, uh, to have the other person do the uh, the kind of the traditional hearts and flowers aspects of romance uh, with you and to treat you a little bit like a god or a goddess sometimes, you know, 
It's not something to be shy about. Um, that there is that need and that you can do that for the other person as well. And you may have a very romantic uh, quality and the way that you approach relationship. And with money, you know, same, that there, there's often a creative um, streak that wants to come through in how you make money. You could be uh, easily be an artist or creator of some type that brings in money through your creative drive. Uh, so that's something to look at. If you're not doing that, and you're Venus and Leo, and you're thinking, where's my creative career? You can be doing that as a sideline or a, a hobby. But there are some creative outlet, you know, is, is extremely important for you to have to get that Venus need met, you know, to have that sense of pleasure in life um, that we get from our Venus placement. And then the shadow side is uh, that, you know, what I mentioned in the beginning can be turned up to a little too high and that, you know, Venus and Leo people can get too demanding of other people's attention. Like, look at me, you know, it's that um, I need to be the center of your universe attitude. And so <laughs> we have to watch that, you know, with Venus and Leo uh, and know that, okay, you know, it needs to be balanced that, that there's two people in a relationship and that um, there's two people that need equal amounts of attention. And so uh, it's just that awareness uh, can be helpful. Venus in Virgo, uh, another earth sign uh, similar to Taurus. But Virgo is, you know, it's about having very high standards and being able to look at a relationship and at, you know, how we bring in money as practice, as a constant work. Okay, again, that doesn't sound glamorous, but like we need Venus and Virgo people. We need people who understand that a relationship is work. A relationship is something that takes constant tending. And it's also sometimes about compromise and um, helping another person, you know, as much as it is helping ourselves. So Venus and Virgo people do have high standards for relationship in that they want the other person to work on it as hard as they are working on it. And that's important for Venus and Virgo to consider when they're pairing up with someone is the partner, someone who's able to do this work with me and to look at it as a constant practice, the conscious practice of relationship. Um, because Venus and Virgo is interested in doing that work, you know, and as far as it relates to money, a service uh, oriented profession where you feel like you're making a tangible difference uh, in people's lives where you can see the results, see, touch, feel the results of your work and how it's affecting people, that's going to be extremely important for, for Venus and Virgo. The shadow of Venus and Virgo is that perfectionism, you know, as we've talked about with South Node and Virgo, uh, can be applied to relationship and to one's work so that it can be paralyzing. Like, in a relationship, it could be uh, having too high of standards for the other person to the point where nothing they do is right, you know, or I can't find the right person because I'm just too damn picky. And, <laughs> and uh, that Venus and Virgo, as it relates to money, is about the, um, sometimes that Virgo paralysis, I call it, you know, needing to have things so neat and tidy and perfect that 
no risks are taken. Mm. And you'll notice that theme popping up from the earth signs, you know, that the, the Taurus and Virgo. And as we get to Capricorn, that there's a tendency to, um, in the shadow, be risk averse uh, to the point where life becomes very confined. And so that's a, a danger to watch for there. Mm. Uh, Venus and Libra and the sign, uh, second sign that it rules is uh, definitely interested in having harmony and calm and peace in a relationship. You know, this is the opposite sign of Aries, the sign that we started with. And it's, you know, I talked about the the theme of Aries needing things like kind of hot and drama, a little bit of drama is okay. Uh, not Venus and Libra. Libra's the opposite of that. And there's a need for just a sweetness, romantic, peaceful tone in the relationships. Um, and as it relates to money, again, a creative career, an artistic career can be uh, fulfilling for Venus and Libra, but also careers in which you are required to really work closely one-on-one -on -one with people. So with Venus and Libra, there can be some natural counseling abilities, you know, the ability to mentor or work closely with that with a, a person on a daily basis one-on-one -on -one, to have clients for example um, and that that can bring in uh, resources there's a, a an ability that Venus and Libra people have to pick up on the needs of others and to connect with them very immediately and closely to be sensitive to the needs of others and that can be a gift and it can also be the shadow um, in that Venus and Libra can get over-concerned with others' needs at the expense of oneself. So it's that theme of getting lost, you know, in the relationship um, at the expense of one's own needs. And that can be, you know, the classic codependent kind of expression of that. Um, and that can happen, uh, you know, when Venus is triggered there. So that's the Venus shadow to watch out for. Venus and Scorpio, uh, another water sign like Cancer. And Scorpios are very different sign from Cancer, interestingly, you know, being a water sign too. Um, Venus and Scorpio really craves intensity and passion. You know, it's Scorpios ruled by Mars, just as Aries is ruled by Mars. And so there is this need for uh, close, deep connection with the other. Could be like, I, I want to be in every aspect of your life and I want you in every aspect of mine. You know, there could be that almost that um, po possessive quality to the relationship. And that can make it sound a little unhealthy and it could certainly go there in its shadow. But, you know, Venus really, uh, Venus and Scorpio really does need someone who can show up as an authentic uh, person and handle going into the deep and difficult areas of relationship. Um, they thrive on that. They thrive on having the hard discussions, the uh, going for the, the raw truth, you know, in the relationship and mm -hmm. talking about what's going on underneath the surface. And so that's something to consider for Venus and Scorpio as they uh, think about partnerships. Like, can the other person match me there? You know, are they going to be able to go deep? Are they going to be able to go really deep and to handle uh, the intensity of what I want to do in relationship? And then Venus and Scorpio, uh, money-wise, you know, the, again, there needs to be that passionate engagement with one's career. And often 
uh, the career can involve uh, confronting or looking at things that other people don't want to look at. Uh, for example, I have a friend with Venus and Scorpio who is a hospice worker. Um, she, you know, she deals with people passing regularly. Um, and so that actually is something that some people might go, oh, God, I don't know if I can handle that. A Venus and Scorpio person can handle that, you know, as far as this is what they're doing, you know, to bring in an income. And this is also what they feel drawn to do because they can, they can handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that Scorpio element, you know, is really strong there. And the shadow of it, again, is that uh, that possessiveness that can creep in the the jealousy um, the lack of objectivity, you know, being way too subjective and getting even a little paranoid in a relationship, you know, that can happen. And so it behooves Venus and Scorpio to be aware of that, uh, that tendency and to watch your thoughts and how, how they might be going that direction and to say, okay, maybe I need to take a step back here and get some objectivity or talk to a friend about this or get another viewpoint before I go down that road in my head, Right. So Venus in Sagittarius uh, is, it, it's definitely, um, you know, it's another fire sign. It's the last of our fire signs. And the word spontaneity, you know, creeps into every fire sign, you know, that I talk about. And I think that having spontaneity in a relationship uh, is probably the most important for Venus and Sagittarius. There needs to be a huge amount of freedom and space for Venus and Sag people, that doesn't necessarily mean they can't be in a committed relationship. Not at all. You know, Mm. of course, many Venus and Sag people are married, right? And you'll hear similar things about Venus and Gemini. It's like, oh, we can't commit. But I think, you know, of course they can, and it depends on the whole chart. But within that relationship for Venus and Sag, they need to have a sense that they have a great amount of independence and space within the partnership. Mm-hmm. And to have room to breathe, you know, fire signs need room to breathe. Mark that down in your in your notes, people. <laughs> it's like <laughs> fire needs room to breathe, just like the element. Um, and so it doesn't mean no commitment. It just means being able to have that dance with somebody where it's like, oh, you're going to go out tonight. Okay, well, I'm going to stay home and do my thing, and know that it doesn't have to mean oh, the relationship's going south. You know, that Venus and Sag person might need to go out more than a person who's got Venus and Taurus, right? Mm. Doesn't mean they can't have a relationship. It means they have to understand each other's needs. Uh, Venus and Sag also needs to feel like things are always an adventure, uh, like they're on a quest and this is an adventure and this is, you know, uh, there's that sense of looking toward the future with Venus. And so, Having plans for travel and adventures together as a partnership, uh, are, it, that's going to help them in any of their close relationships. Um, Venus and Sag as relates to money uh, really does need, again, that sense of, um, you know, almost like Gemini, uh, endless uh, challenge, excitement, curiosity being fulfilled. So variety is hugely important for Venus and Sag people. They need to have variety in their work. Um, They could be a freelancer, you know, but they could also have a job that, again, provides that kind of uh, constant challenge and constant uh, variety served up. And then the shadow, of course, is 
uh, being non-committal to the point of like they run away from every commitment. <laughs> you know, that could be the shadow Venus and Sag type is, oh, I'm, you know, I'm so averse to getting cornered that then I forget to have a relationship. <laughs> mm. And that's, that can definitely happen with Venus and Sag. So uh, Venus and Sag may be perfectly content, you know, out there in the wilderness on their own for a while. They could also end up feeling very lonely later on if, if they realize, wow, I just really haven't made those close connections because I've been so protective of my freedom. So that's the shadow road for Venus and Sag. Venus in Capricorn is uh, a sign that, again, the last Earth sign, it has to do with um, creating things uh, that last a long time and doing the hard work of creating them. And so in a relationship, you know, Venus in Capricorn appreciates commitment, appreciates structure and stability, just like Taurus, um, also takes pride in the accomplishments of having a long-term uh, relationship. And this applies to close friendships as well, you know, having those long-term close relationships. Um, that's extremely important priority for Venus and Capricorn. And there can be also the high standards element that we talked about with Virgo. You know, there's um, that willingness to work on relationship and to be committed that Venus and Capricorn has that, uh, you know, that is there too with the other earth signs. And then in work and money, Venus uh, in Capricorn is the willingness to do the long haul, you know, with things to be committed, to be uh, enduring in one's in one's work and one's approach to work, and the desire to create something lasting, the desire to create something that took a long time to make, and you know, take pride in that uh, creation. So the shadow road, though, for Venus and Capricorn is. Uh, too much work and no play. You know, it's it's overwork. It's workaholism. It's the the abnegation of of pleasure um, at the expense of you know at the expense of relationships sometimes, and at the expense of money. It's like I'm just going to work till I drop, kind of attitude, or I'm just going to treat this relationship like it's it's a job and business like, and it can get too business like, and so. That's one of the shadows of all three of the Earth sign Venuses is a tendency to make a relationship into kind of a business or too business-like to the point where it gets boring and then all the life gets sucked out of it. And that's something if you're aware of, you can avoid by injecting, you know, some of the positive qualities into it and then also um, tap into other areas of your chart to bring in more spontaneity and, and, and breath of air. Um, so then Venus in Aquarius, uh, really delights in relationship in having, again, space, freedom, you know, those are two key words that are common with, with Aquarius and with Sag. And then also having a sense of, um, you know, perhaps more distance in their romantic relationships. And they often can have quite a lot of friends and, have, you know, again, not necessarily just the close besties, but have a broad spectrum of friends of all different walks of life. 
And in relationship, romantic relationship, they need things to be changed up quite a lot. You know, they can also get bored very easily. So the partner would need to be someone who challenges the mind and the intellect. That's the air sign quality. And then also provides uh, a lot of variety and ability for room to breathe. And then Aquarius, as uh, Venus and Aquarius as relates to money, is uh, needing to make money through something that they feel is affecting the the world for the better in some way. And that can sound a little grandiose, but it's that humanitarian urge that Aquarius has to make things better for the next generation or the, the next group of people coming up. And so when they turn their attention toward humanitarian uh, things, they're more able to bring in the resources that they need. The shadow road for Venus and Aquarius is aloofness or disconnection, uh, getting too much in the head, forgetting to connect to the heart. And so that's what they have to to watch in relationships and in work. It's like they don't feel uh, they can get disconnected from what they're doing. And that's uh, can be to the detriment to both money and to love. And then finally, Pisces. Uh, Venus and Pisces, the last water sign. Pisces is an empathic, sensitive, and uh, very compassionate sign. And so in relationship, you know, they thrive with someone who is also sensitive uh, because they're, you know, they could pick up on the other person's feelings quite easily and always be aware of the other person's feelings. And so it's important that they be with someone who does not take advantage of that, you know, who doesn't tap too much into their empathy and sensitivity and use it for the worst. And, you know, and that could be the shadow road. But Venus in Pisces is, as a partner, you know, someone who thrives on emotional connection and being able to have a deep spiritual connection with the partner. There needs to be that soul connection, that spark uh, there that feels like we've known each other for lifetimes, you know, that kind of connection. And then with work, um, Pisces is another sign because of its compassion and sensitivity that works well with uh, being able to do something that helps others, uh, you know, working on behalf of the underdog, working on behalf of those who need help, uh, that draws Venus and Pisces types, and that could be a way to bring in uh, finances. And then the shadow side of, of Venus and Pisces, again, is that overdeveloped uh, sensitivity that can then be taken advantage of, you know, if they're in a relationship with someone who is toxic or not healthy, uh, that they can get too influenced by that and be taken down a dark road themselves. And how they can pull themselves out of that, though, is to, again, remember, you know, my needs do have to come first, actually, you know, that I can't lose myself in this, or I should not lose myself in this. And that comes into play in their work as well. So that is Venus through all the signs. Um, and, you know, I think that, it, of course, that was a really brief uh, description of each. But I encourage people, if you know your Venus sign, 
don't just go by the Venus sign. Also think about, if you know a little bit about astrology, other things in your chart as they might relate to that Venus. Because we don't just have a Venus. We have all the other planets as well. And they can help to balance out certain things with the Venus uh, that we might need to. Yeah, I was going to point out that... um like say for instance you have a venus in a particular sign i'll use mine as an example gemini mm-hmm. so yeah. what i might look for in a potential partner they could have a significant gemini placement anywhere in their chart and be a little bit more likely to provide some of those elements so say yeah. someone with a sun or a moon or a rising sign in gemini would still be able to sort of um, provide some of that energy, right? Like they mm-hmm. don't have to have a perfectly matched Venus to Venus kind of situation. <laughs> right, right. And so that's another thing that I'll I'll point to here with compatibility, you know, and mm-hmm. I often get the question uh, of, you know, can you do a compatibility chart for me and my partner? And I don't think of it that way. I don't think that it is a uh, like, a situation where you're either compatible or you're not, you know, mm-hmm. via astrology for one thing. Um, and that there are so many things involved in each person's chart that you can't do it based on sun signs or just Venus signs or any mm-hmm. of that. It's the whole picture versus the whole picture. Mm-hmm. And so a couple's reading is very complex in that uh, we do consider all of the elements of each person's chart plus the composite chart which is mm-hmm. with bring two charts together. So it's not just about Venus for sure. Um, it can just, Venus, like any of the planets that you take in isolation, you know, that can point you in a certain direction or help you understand uh, a huge amount about yourself, but it's not the whole picture. So I want people to, to definitely be aware of that. Well, yes. And also knowing that uh, in, in keeping with your theory that understanding what you have in your chart then allows you to sort of respond or balance those elements or, or bring them in or understand why someone else might need certain things that are different from yours. You could have, quote unquote, Venuses that are, you know, not in the same realm as one another. Mm-hmm. And just by understanding that, well... I have this certain situation in my chart. My partner has um, a different requirement. What that can do is then allow you to maybe make more conscious decisions to provide that in in the relationship or to remember, you know, it's not that this person doesn't want to spend time with me, but they like to go out and do things with their friends and have, you know, an independent kind of social life. Um, And just knowing that and being aware of that that's one of the ingredients you're working with um, can allow you to, like you said, use your free will to modify how that's impacting you. Absolutely. And it is about self-understanding and it's about understanding the other. And that's where uh, a couple's reading can be helpful is understanding each other's Venus style, you know, it can Mm -hmm. be hugely helpful, um, but then understanding the whole chart as well. Mm. And and saying, okay, we just have these certain differences. We have these things that are more in harmony. And how can we maximize the things that work well together? And how can we work on the things that are really quite different? Um, and in almost every couple's reading I've ever done, you know, th- nobody's perfectly lined up in the same. I mean, that's just not the way it works. We're attracted to people who 
tend to make us work on ourselves. <laughs> mm, interesting <laughs> you know? point. That's why I think we're attracted to them is like, oh, there's a challenge here and something I need to learn. And that's why we're drawn to each other at a particular moment. Or they may have something that you're trying to bring in into mm-hmm. your own life. And so it's an opportunity for you to study or model that dynamic um, yes. and how, you know, how, how, how can I be more like this? You know, right. Um, I, I have to ask you, I hope it's not too much off topic, but it comes yeah. up so much in relationship oriented readings, like with clients that I do. And, and it probably comes up for you when you do relationship um, astrological readings, soulmates, twin mm-hmm. flames, mm-hmm. Talk to me about, is there an astrological basis for these concepts? And um, yeah. how, do you dis- how do you describe and define those concepts? Mm-hmm. And I'm probably going to tick some people off with my answer. To- do <laughs> to it. <laughs> I'm going to do it because uh, it's what I think. Um, I, I don't believe that we have one soulmate. And I don't, I, I just don't have enough knowledge about the concept of twin flames to understand it really it's not something that resonates with me particularly Mm -hmm. there isn't an astrological basis for those terms as far Mm -hmm. as i know um but we do meaning it doesn't you know astrology doesn't prove that we have soulmates or twin flames one way or the other it doesn't disprove either um with we do use the term soulmate in, in astrology at times, um, particularly as relating to the eighth house um, in evolutionary astrology, uh, you know, that that is a term associated with the eighth house, that it's the house of soulmates, where we do the deep soul work. And I, I emphasize soulmates plural. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the one. It's not that, you know, the one in the sky that's going to come down and like we're going to be happy together forever and walk off into the sunset. It's the one who I am going to do deep soul work with and there may be and will likely be many uh, in a lifetime, including friends that are Mm -hmm. like soulmate friends. I don't confine it to romantic Mm -hmm. uh, quality. So my perception of soulmates and as I've seen it play out in people's lives and in their charts is that soulmates are people we're here to do deep work with, that the the sign and planets in the eighth house uh, can tell us more about what kinds of people that we can do that deep soul work with. So that's a whole, that is another topic, you know, it might be fun mm-hmm. for another time to go deeper into that. But um, knowing your eighth house and eighth house planets can help understand like, okay, this is the kind of person with whom I can do that deep soul work. Um, And so I'm not saying there's no soulmates. I'm saying my perspective on them is, you know, that it's not the happy ever after one. It is, okay, we have people that come and go in our lives that we have unfinished business with perhaps from past lives. And Mm -hmm. so there's that charge when we meet them, you know, like, okay, this is someone I need to do some work with (laughs) and Mm -hmm. we have stuff from before and, you know, maybe it needs to be finished up. Um, But the thing that's challenging, I think for a lot of people in considering soulmates and twin twin flames in the way that I do is, you know, nothing lasts forever. (laughs) And even if you stay together till death, it's not going to last forever. 
And relationships do come and go. And particularly as, you know, I think as we're evolving as a species, it seems like relationships have sometimes a faster burn rate than they used to. (laughs) Really? In terms of friendships and partnerships that, well, the whole, the whole um, phenomenon of, of serial monogamy, you know, Mm -hmm. is a good example of this. It's like we are growing and develop very quickly and sometimes we outgrow people and then we go on to the next person and that used to be considered like a failure, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you can't settle down. Oh, you can't just be with one. And I just see it as, well, in different phases of our lives, we may be with different people and have different needs for growth. And that's just what yeah. may happen. Now, at the same time, I'm married, you know, and I intend to be married for the rest of my life. And so there's that, um, you know, that, it's it's hard for people to understand how those two things can coexist. Like, well, how can one believe in marriage at all and still hold the belief that, oh, we have different soulmates and different, mm-hmm. different uh, needs and different points of our lives. But I think it is a choice. Like, we can choose to be with someone as long as we're doing good growth together and as long as we're both uh, consciously working on the relationship and becoming new to each other because we're always changing. But as soon as we try to put ourselves in a box and say, okay, you're my soulmate. This is going to last forever. You're the one. Then it's doomed pretty much. You know. <laughs> well, it's like the concept of a company or an entity that um, exists over long periods of time. Maybe there is the need for renovation or rebranding or, you know, like um, – it seems that mm, couples yeah. who have been together for long, long periods of time have phases within their relationships that they can point yeah. to. Um, so, I mean, and I'm saying this to to you as someone who is not married. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, my opinion about how to be married is is very limited. But um, I would hope that what that means is. Um, an ability to recognize that there are phases and changes and different acts in life and, or like movie franchises, there's going to be a sequel and then there'll Mm -hmm. be a part three. And so my whole feeling or hope is that, well, if I go into it with that expectation, maybe that will allow me the fluidity and the creativity to remake it or to change it as necessary. Um, Yeah. If, yeah. because the commitment is to the person and it's not necessarily to the time period that you met in or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. I like that. And, you know, I was just recalling, uh, I listened to an interview with Michelle Obama on, uh, on Oprah's podcast recently, and she was talking about their marriage and how, you know, it, it there was some really hard times, which you don't think about when you see Barack and Michelle Obama. Like you Mm -hmm. just see, oh, they're just total soulmates and they just belong together and they have this perfect relationship. She's like, no, you know, (laughs) there's some really hard years. And she's like, if you've been married for 50 years and you have 20 years that are bad, you're doing pretty good. (laughs) That's what she said. (laughs) She's like, and people go like, what? She's like, yeah, there's going to be some hard times and some years that really suck and where you're going through either individual things that are tough or as a couple. And any long-term relationship that lasts is going to have 
those different phases. And I think I, who knows what the success of marriage depends on. I don't have the answer, but I suspect that a lot of it has to do with what you're saying is that, that flexibility and fluidity to go through these different phases together and the acceptance that that's going to happen. It's interesting that you mentioned the fact that our culture seems to be moving to a place where more accepting of the idea that there are different relationships for different time periods in your life, because Mm -hmm. we also see that happening in career. The concept that people have multiple careers in their lifetime has become much more of an acceptable, intentional way of thinking about it. You know, Um, gone are the days when you you picked your major at 19 and then you picked a job and you know you worked there from 25 to 65 end of story there are some professions that do allow for that but the expectation that you're failing if you don't do that is mm-hmm. pretty gone from from popular belief now i mean it still yeah. haunts us but there is at least in the culture a recognition that um, you know what? It's an admirable thing to decide I'm going back to school at 40 and I'm changing my career. You know, like we right. applaud people who do that. And so uh, it, I think that may exist in parallel with I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a fundamentalist thing. It's a, um, a it's a fear based thing that we're going to lock everything down and it's just going to be this way forever, you know, and we're moving as a species into a place where we recognize that things are evolving and changing and we are learning how to be more that way. Right. Yeah, I would agree. I'd say those two things are very connected. Oh, Dina, I could talk to you all day long. There are so many aspects of, um, of astrology that we can explore like this. Thank you so much for um, doing this deep dive and going through and at least speaking to everyone out there a little bit and giving them a taste of what they're working with. Um, I will absolutely invite you back for other chats and we will um, do some other focused topic areas in this way. Tell everyone where they can go to find you online if they want to follow you or get a reading with you. Yeah, so you can find me at dinadecastro.com. Um, and there uh, you can sign up for my list there. And I do have a really cool free gift uh, of the nodes in your chart. If you didn't hear about it from the last episode, it's still there uh, for you if you uh, do sign up for my list. And I also will... Um, you know, more regularly be posting things on Facebook as we go forward. And I have uh, Facebook is DeCastro Astrology. And uh, so I, I say that because I just started back on Facebook after mm-hmm. nine years away. So <laughs> it's like getting back up to snuff on that has been interesting. But um, yeah, I'm enjoying getting back into that community and also being part of the Shift Your Spirits community as well. And you can find me there too. I pop in Um, if you have questions about this episode and what have you. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have a comment discussion uh, in the group available for anyone who wants to um, ask you some good follow-up questions. That was great, Dina. Thank you for coming back on the show again. Thank you. It's always my pleasure. 
Thanks again for listening to the Shift Your Spirits podcast. For show notes, links, transcripts, and all the past episodes, please visit shiftyourspirits.com. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Stitcher, or whatever app you prefer. If you'd like to get an intuitive reading with me or download a free ebook and meditation to help you connect with your guides, please go to sladeroberson.com. And if you're interested in my professional intuitive training program, you can start the course for free by downloading the attunement at automaticintuition.com. Before I go, I promise to leave you a message and answer to a question or a concern you may have, so take a moment to think about that. Hold it in your mind or speak it out loud. I'll pause for just a few seconds right now. When the tide is out, stop swimming. The same actions that propel you when you're in the flow can dig a hole on dry land. Seasons and cycles determine environment and context. Actions require context to be effective. Timing can be everything, and time is outside your control. If you're not sure what to do right now, then maybe now is not the right time to do anything. Wait for further instructions, and I'll talk to you later.